This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible Adult Resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, we examine some questions teachers may face, and we give some teaching tips along the way. This fall, we are studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is our editor who works on the Leader Guide, the Leader Pack, and Quick Source, so he is super valuable. He also leads a Bible study group at his church using Explore the Bible, so he brings uh, not just knowledge, but experience. So, Bob, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. Today we will look at session eight, where we will discuss Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. So we'll begin with just a little bit of an overview of what's happening in these verses, and then we will jump into some questions uh, that you may face in your group in your group time this week. In Mark chapter ten, verses thirty-two through thirty-four, Jesus and the disciples are making their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus reminded them that he would be handed over to the religious leaders and the Gentiles. He would be mocked, tortured, and killed, and then be raised after three days. In verses 35 through 40, James and John approached Jesus, asking if they could sit at his right and his left once he established his kingdom. They likely assumed this was why he was so determined to enter Jerusalem. Jesus told them that they did not understand what they were asking, since those positions would require them to suffer and die as well. And they assured Jesus that they were able. Jesus confirmed that they would die for him, but they would never be able to drink the cup that was reserved for him. In verses 41 through 45, the other disciples were offended by James and John's request. Jesus reminded them that they were not to follow the pattern of the Gentiles who sought to become rulers. Instead, they were to seek to be servants. Jesus emphasized that he set the standard for being a servant, coming to give his life as a ransom for those who would believe in him. Our overall summary statement for the whole session, Jesus gave his life as the ultimate act of sacrifice. Okay, so this is a great passage. There's a lot in this. Uh, Bob, let's just jump into questions. What were James and John really asking for, and what would that compare to today? Well, as you just pointed out in in your summary, they thought he was going to Jerusalem to take a throne. Mm -hmm. They thought he was going there to to wipe out the Romans, to kick them out and and just reestablish the throne of David in Jerusalem and become king. And so when you think about it in those terms, you filter what they're asking the question through that, through that context, you realize they're looking for power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're looking for Mm -hmm. positions of authority. And really that's what the right and the left hand of a king would be in that context. Uh, They, they were, they were looking for, uh, we talk about the, the idea of somebody being a right-hand man. And that's where this comes from is that, you know, this is somebody who's an authority, someone who has power, someone who has influence. And that's what James and John were asking for. They wanted the glory. They probably also wanted a little bit of revenge for mm-hmm. centuries or, or decades, at least at this point of Roman oppression, Roman embarrassment, Roman humiliation. Um, and it'd been a really long time since Israel wasn't under the thumb of some other nation. Mm-hmm. And so the, the people were ready for them to, to break out, whether it be from the Romans or earlier the Greeks, and then there's the Persians and the Babylonians. And so there's a whole bunch of folks historically going back that it basically kept Israel under their thumb 
Mm-hmm. And the people were ready for change. They wanted that Messiah to come and they wanted him to be the military champion that would, that would make everything better for them. And so as Peter and James, or excuse me, as James and John thought about this, they wanted to be on the front row. They wanted to be where the action was. They wanted to be able to, to pay back the Romans for all the stuff that they, that they'd been going through as, as a nation over time. Uh, as far as what it would kind of be like today, uh, I think about it is if you walked into a CEO's office and demanded to be an executive vice president mm-hmm. you know, and said, hey, you need to make me, you need to put me on the board. Yeah. Uh, or if you walked into the president's office and, and said, hey, I really am looking, uh, I'm not going to be satisfied unless you give me this plum uh, cabinet position, mm-hmm. you know, that's on TV all the time and travels from place to place and, and speaks with the authority of the, of the president. That's sort of the same thing. John and James were saying, hey, we want to be right there with you. We want to have, if not all the power that you have, at least have enough authority that people recognize that we're with you and that they don't mess with us anymore. Um, unfortunately, you know, that stuff doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it take it would take an incredible amount of arrogance and pride to even make that request, uh, especially in the context of Jesus just explaining that he was going to die. They were going to Jerusalem to die. He was going to die. He was going to be persecuted. He was going to be tortured and he would rise again, but he was going to suffer uh, before that time. And so in the, in the immediate aftermath of him having that conversation, these two knuckleheads come up and say, Hey, you know, make us Kings with you. (laughs) Give give us something to rule. Give us some positions of power. Give us some influence. And it just took an incredible amount of arrogance on their part to even ask that question. Uh, they they still had a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd only been around for a hot minute, and they were not ready for as you, as you talked about the cup that was going to come their way. Um, so, but that's where their minds were, yeah. and that's what they were thinking, and that's 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 how they convinced themselves it was okay to ask that question. Yeah, understanding what their expectations were when they thought he would come in power is really key to understanding what it was they were really talking about here. Yeah. Uh, and so a, it, it really, yeah, it, it really explains a lot of what the disciples did Yeah, yeah. <laughs> over the course of the gospel stories. Uh, okay. So related to that, why were the other disciples ticked off at James and John? <laughs> they weren't very happy. So what, why were they uh, upset with them? Yeah. The CSB uses the term indignant. Um, I didn't look to see what the other translations used, but that's what they used. Indignant. And that I looked up that word in the Greek and it kind of means uh, to be afflicted mm-hmm. or to feel, it feels a weight of grief, but it's mm-hmm. not grief like sorrow, like when someone dies. It's more like grief in the fact that I'm offended, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that you've caused me harm, you've caused me damage. And so there's a, there's a sense in which I'm mourning that, uh, that attack that you, that you, yeah. Uh, that you carried out on my life. And so it was, it was kind of like holding a grudge. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the same idea there too. And so that's the word we're talking about here. Now <laughs> there's a, there's, I don't know how much you read Shakespeare. I don't read it much, but I do, I do remember there's a line in Hamlet where uh, the queen, they're doing a play inside of a play and the queen looks and, and one of the characters in the play is being overdramatic and just being, indignant if you want to use that mm-hmm. word and and the famous line is that the lady doth protest too much yeah 
And so that's sort of where the disciples were. They were really protesting too much. Yeah. Um, they were indignant. They were ticked off. But it was because, not because of anything that really happened to them. It was because of a, a perceived wrong that had been committed against them. They were really just mad that James and John had asked the question before they did. They had the same ambitions. They had the same messianic ex- expectations. They just hadn't asked the question yet. And that anger at that, and then probably the fear of, well, they've already asked the question. What if they get these positions before we do? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm going to get shut out completely. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end up ruling some, you know, backwoods, backwater kind of area that I don't want to be anywhere near. Man, I wish I'd, I wish I'd beaten them to the bunch. And that's really why they were upset. And they took it out on James and John when in truth, they were really just protesting too much. They were, they were just as, as guilty of, of this attitude as, as everybody else. They had all this, they wanted the best seats in the house, just like James and John did. James and John just took it upon themselves to ask the question. Okay. So this next question is kind of turning a corner and we're looking at verses 41 through 45 in chapter 10. And it begins with what you just said. The 10 disciples who heard it were indignant. And then Jesus called them over and begins talking to them. How do we turn these verses and specifically what, what Jesus is uh, giving them instruction about? How do we turn that into a prayer? This is a great question. <laughs> uh, as I was kind of going through the questions, I thought this is really an interesting idea, uh, a great concept. Um, I think what there's a couple of things we can do. As we read through that passage, we're probably not going to quote the passage and pray it directly back to God, but there are principles that we can pull from that passage that can help us kind of guide a prayer and have a directed prayer toward God along these ways. And the first thing is we we have to acknowledge that the world's way is not the right way because Mm -hmm. Jesus talks about, hey, guys, you know how the Gentiles do this. You know how they lord authority over their people. You know how they are more concerned with their position than for the concern of the of the folks they've been they've been placed to rule, uh, and that's just not the way we do things in my kingdom. And so, mm-hmm. as as believers, we need to recognize and realize that this is that the world's way is not the way that we need to be doing things either. The, right. Jesus's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Mm-hmm. And from a worldly perspective, nothing we do makes sense as Christians, as Christ followers. And so, we need to we need to confess that up front that it just seems weird. It just seems unnatural. This whole idea of becoming a servant instead of becoming a, you know, a dictator, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't fit our idea of mm-hmm. what leadership ought to be sometimes when we look at it from a worldly perspective. But yeah. we need to acknowledge that first and foremost, that, that his ways are better than our ways. The other thing is we need to seek the role of the servant. We need to ask God to help us put the needs of others in front of our own need, our own needs. Uh, we need to act. We need to ask Jesus to show us opportunities to actually act like a servant towards someone else, um, to to live out the kind of message that He's sharing with His disciples here. So mm-hmm. we acknowledge that the world's way is not the best way, and we seek roles to be a servant. And then we ask God to transform us into His into the image of Christ. Um, he, Jesus said, "I didn't come to be served; I came to serve and to give His life as ransom for many." We're never going to be able to give our lives as a ransom, but we certainly can serve. Yeah. And we've got to figure out, or we don't figure it out, but we have to intentionally take the effort to change the way we think, to renew our minds, and to to kind of see things through his eyes 
rather than looking through our own eyes. It's a great outline and a great pattern for how you can pray those kind of things. And it, I think it'd be amazing to see how God responds. Because yeah. when you ask him for stuff like that, he's going to provide. Obviously, if it's if it's if it aligns with what Jesus says in this passage, then it's going to align with the will of God. When you pray right. aligning with the will of God, he's going to answer. So I would put that as a caveat. If you're going to pray these kind of things, if you're going to lift up these kind of prayers, you better buckle your seatbelts because you're <laughs> going to get opportunities to be a servant. And you better put your money where your mouth is because God's going to take it seriously and you need to as well. Well, I think it's really important. You said this just a second ago. You said um, it's a good idea to to seek the Lord, to have this kind of uh, attitude and, and desire in your heart. And I thought, oh, yeah, because it's not going to come natural. <laughs> Na- no, our natural bent will be what what's best for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it definitely would have to be um, the spirit working in us <laughs> to seek, to seek yes. opportunities to serve. Yeah, we, we've got the same DNA spiritually as James yeah, and John. Yeah. And so we're going to be we're going to be seeking the power and the position. We've got to change the way we do things and way we see yeah. things. Uh, OK, final question. How does serving set Christianity apart from other worldviews? Well, let's, I mean, let's be clear for a second and, and give credit where credit is due. Christianity is not the only faith. And it's not the only worldview that talks about doing good things for other people. That's right. Uh, almost every faith focuses on some kind of generosity, some kind of compassion, some kind of service on the part of its followers toward other people. Uh, I don't think it'd be very appealing to try to practice or pursue a faith or a worldview that says be mean to everybody. Right. <laughs> you know, that, it, that, that's, you, that's, there's no honey there to draw flies. And so, you know, every, every worldview, every faith acknowledges, at least gives lip service to the idea that we have a responsibility to take care of other people and to, to help make the world a better place for our fellow human beings. So, you know, in that sense, Christianity is not different. What makes Christianity different in terms of service is the motivation behind why we do what we do. Uh, for all, a lot of those people, maybe all of those other groups out there, the reason they serve is because for them, service is a, is a path to salvation. Uh, they believe that doing good for other people is the doorway to earning God's favor or whatever their idea of a higher power is. They may not actually call it God. They may call it something else. But their their idea, their mindset, their philosophy is that if I'm going to please this higher power, I've got to do good deeds. I've got to do good works. I've got to treat other people nice. Um, you know, this whole idea of karma sort of, of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that what what goes around comes around. And so I've got to make sure that I'm that I'm dealing with people fairly and dealing with people rightly because I'm in trouble if I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's why they're doing it. Um, they 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 want God to love them more, uh, and they think they have to earn that. In contrast, Christians serve because we already have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to create one or establish one. We've already done that as Christ followers. We're allowing our works to reflect that already. We're letting, we're letting our deeds and our compassion and our generosity and our love for other people reflect who Jesus is and what he's all about. We're demonstrating our salvation, not trying to earn our salvation. And so it's really important for us as we, as we go about our business, as we try to fulfill the Great Commission, as we try to lift Jesus up so that he can draw people to himself, 
that we accurately reflect who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do in the lives of others. And for us, service, becoming a servant, putting the needs of others above ourselves, that's how we do that. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of the chief mechanisms that, that Christ has given us to, to let, make his name known and, and in this world is by serving others. So that's, that's what sets us apart. Yeah, that's a helpful, that's a helpful explanation. Uh, each week on the podcast, we try to highlight either um, a pack item, uh, a teaching idea, or uh, the Bible skill or key doctrine. And, and I want to, uh, I want to highlight the key doctrine on this one. It's really, um, well, it's just foundational to Christianity. And if you have a minute in your group time to um, spend some time talking about this, I think it could be really valuable just to, again, um, communicate and share what are some some basic beliefs that we have. Uh, so the key doctrine is God the Son. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, but was without sin. It's just a valuable, it's a valuable conversation to have and to allow your group to discuss. Let me encourage you to take a look at the blog posts found on goexplorethebible.com forward slash blog. Every Thursday, a new post is added. These posts will help you better understand Explore the Bible resources and the ideas behind those resources. That is goexplorethebible.com slash blog. Bob, thank you for being here. Yes. Well, thank you, Amber. I appreciate being here. It's always fun. Thanks so much. Next week, we will have Mike Livingston with us again, and we will be examining Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 25. We hope you'll join us.